0: Earlier this week, it happened, and I was about to lose my mind. People that don't respect other people's time. Mm, That's a good one. Why, or what happened that made you, like, want to say So, I mean, this is just, like, a culmination of, like, a lot of frustration that I have with a lot of things, but I think that I've experienced with clients, maybe not even clients, but, like, potential clients that... Will come in, they'll apply. And then, honestly, like the worst thing is people that like no call, no show, mm. whenever we're having like a prospective call or something like that. Like they just don't give any indication that they are going to be late or that they're not going to make it or that, you know, they don't know how to use whatever technology we're doing, like the call on. Mm-hmm. I just, I hate that stuff. I hate ghosting. That might be like one of my biggest pet peeves or like things that grind my gears just because like it's so easy to not waste people's time.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Like that is the easiest thing in the world to just not waste people's time, but most people don't have like the self-awareness to be able to think ahead and just be like, you know what, might be 30 seconds longer for me to send this email, Mm -hmm. letting someone know that like, I'm not interested anymore, or Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be able to make this call, or I'm going to be a little bit late or whatever it is. They just don't do it. Mm -hmm. There's like, no, like you're not even worth my, my 30 seconds that's super frustrating. That's like always really difficult to to compartmentalize for me because like, I don't want to get like upset, upset, Mm -hmm. but I also understand that like rational people do get really bothered by people Mm -hmm. that waste their time. Yeah. What about you?
1: Um, like I see both sides with that. Like, you know, I think it, it's just very disrespectful. It kind of sets the tone for like what you think the potential relationship, whether it's coach or client or even like friends, right? Like you're supposed to hang out or, and someone ghosts you or some shit or if someone's on a date and they get ghosted. Like it's it's kind of the same thing. Like it just kind of sets the precedence up. And no one really wants that like negative energy around them. But like I also do sometimes life happens, but like what are the chances that it's always like life happening too, right?
0: Yeah. Well, so this is the way I think about it. Like especially whenever it comes to work.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's like a two strike you're out type of thing. Like if it's if it happened happens one time Then I am typically pretty forgiving and understanding. But if someone does it repeatedly, just like wasting my time, Mm -hmm. then it's really hard for me to view that person in a positive light after Mm -hmm. that. Um, Again, yeah, like you said, it's just super disrespectful whenever people continuously put their own desires above, like, someone else's mm-hmm. especially whenever it's like a respect thing it's just like a, a simple human nature respect yeah i think that's that's probably like one of the biggest things for me but what what's something for you that really bothers you
1: um i know you're gonna rant on this one so stay tuned for this Bryce <laughs> rant um oh, no. the big one for me is uh the word optimal and okay. an understanding context um you know whether it's you know in life or training, I mean, we'll talk about training specifically, but, um, you know, I, I just feel like it's, it's a trend and, you know, we've seen tons of trends in the industry, you've been in it for years, I've been in it for, you know, a little less than you, but still we've been around a lot. And it's just the fact that, you know, I think there's this absurd amount of pressure from like social media or what people think sometimes where it's like, everything has to be perfect all the time. As Mm -hmm. if like, I'm, I'm not saying give everyone a pass. And you know, not hold yourself to higher standard and say discipline with your regimen. But I also think it's like you have to understand, like, we're humans, like shit happens. Shit's not gonna go perfect, right? Like if you, if you know, if you only have 45 minutes to train because you're, you know, a mother or a father of a few kids, or you only have 45 minutes on your lunch break, um, then yeah, shit's not gonna be optimal in a perfect world. Like we don't get paid yeah. to sit around and just work out all day. So things aren't going to be perfect. So I think that's one thing that just grabs my gears is that not everyone, but, you know, a lot of times in the industry, people are saying that things have to be a certain way for you to make progression. And it can't be another way as if that kind of almost erases like the years of things people have been doing before. And I just think it's kind of disrespectful and it's just not very contextual as well. So, yeah,
0: no, yeah. I'm going to refrain from ranting about this because like I probably have a million times before, but no it's i I just don't like whenever people go so far to the one end of the spectrum Mm -hmm. that they can't see that the majority live within the middle Mm -hmm. you know it's like there are certain people that just never have any intention of training Mm -hmm. never have any intention of caring about their fitness about their health like they're going to eat whatever they want to they're never going to go to the gym they're never going to be deliberately active like Mm -hmm. there is that side of the spectrum there's the other side that is so OCD about everything being absolutely fucking perfect that like if something deviates off of perfect, they, they shut down, they can't function, right? Yeah. Those are obviously like high-level bodybuilders or even high-level recreational bodybuilders or yeah. fuck, they don't even have to be high level. Like just people who think that they are needing to be that like regimented and that lockdown. But I mean, I'm sure a lot of people have experienced this where, you know, you're so focused on a diet, right? Or yeah. if someone has gone through a prep where you you get so used to eating the same thing over and over and over and you're so calculated and dialed in and you have to go out to dinner with like, you know, family and you eat off of your plan like one single time. And then it feels like everything is just completely ruined. Like all the progress that you made for the last eight weeks, doing everything completely perfect, is just all gone. It's all flushed out of the toilet. You're fat now, like you might as well just give up because yeah. you did one thing slightly off plan. Yeah. Like that's insanity. Like that's completely fucking crazy. And it goes to the same thing with training where it's like, okay, you have been progressing on this squat press mm-hmm. for the last, you know, 8 weeks. And you go to a different gym and you have to use a normal 45 degree leg press. Yeah. Who fucking cares? Mm-hmm. Who cares? Like it's yeah. not a big deal or, you know, like your favorite delt machine at your gym breaks. You can't use it for 4 weeks. Do you just have to give up on trying to make progress with your adults? No, it doesn't matter. Like, it's not that fucking important. And like, those are the, the things that I think just really ruin people's confidence and also their ability to be like, I guess, problem solve. like their, their ability to problem solve and think for themselves is whenever they are so locked into a frame of reference and a, and a way of thinking that it doesn't allow them to just objectively view something and be like, okay. This is clearly good enough. Like good enough will get you really fucking
1: far. It doesn't have to be perfect or optimal. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's uh a, a big one in pretty much everything, right? Like like you said if something's broke like, you know, the goal of having like someone coach you or working with someone is the fact that you're being educated. Yeah. Like like you're supposed to like learn from your coach so that you can take things and apply them to yourself and and almost essentially be able to function on your own. So, you know, yeah. you, no one needs to call you at five 30 in the morning right. when you're up because the squat press is broken. Right. Right. So I, I think that's the thing it almost handicaps folks and it almost creates just those unrealistic expectations that people just dive in headfirst and they're so into it and they're so passionate about it. But then once one thing goes down, it's kind of like that trickle effect that it's just like, well, if I'm not the best at this, then I'm not going to be there. And I know from like my experience, like, I'm not anyone that's super high level, but like, I just love to train. I love yeah. the training. It, it's, it's just an outlet. It keeps me healthy. And like, I was that person probably for like 18 to 24 months who was like every little thing like calculated and like, it had to be perfect. It had to be optimal. And like, I've made way more progress doing shit that wasn't optimal. If I have 45 minutes to get a workout in, I can still, you know, make progressions through that. I, I just think it's like, it's very almost ignorant in like a, a disrespectful way, just to assume that you can't do certain things because not all of the cards are perfect in your hand. Well, it
0: it makes people feel more important than they are. I think that's what it is, right? Like there are definitely camps. I think training is really bad about it, but even in nutrition, you have it as well. Where like you have these sects that like to isolate themselves as like my way is the only possible way that you can do this, and if you don't do it exactly this way then you might as well just give up, right? So like, I mean, obviously anything extreme will be like that. Like you have like carnivore people, you have like keto people, you have like, you know, high carb people, you have, you know, macro counting people, you have like, you know, cyclical dieting people, like all of those types of, of camps where everyone is like, I guess, um indoctrinated to believe that like their way is really the only right way. And it gets really bad whenever you have like coaches that are very indoctrinated to think that their way is the right way because then they kind of just like feed that down to their clients and it just creates like an echo chamber. But it's really bad with training too. And it, it really does, like you said, handicap people's ability to make progress. Yeah. And one thing that I've noticed, just with myself and with clients as well, is like you can out train pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. Just train harder, mm-hmm. just recover harder, just lock your diet in, just get more sleep. Like if you have to do barbell bench press instead of your favorite machine chest press, your pecs can still grow. Mm -hmm. Just push hard, train hard. You're going to be okay. Like you're, you have to understand the trade-offs though, you know? So one of these things I think would be a good one is just comparing like exercise selection, like a barbell squat versus the hack squat, right? Like what's going to be better for your quads? All things equal. I would say probably a hack squat, right? And I'm taking like risk management. I'm taking like overall longevity into perspective, like what's going to target your quads better. What's going to alleviate, you know, axial loading and stress and systemic stress Like, what is going to be the best when considering all of these variables and factors. Probably hack squat, like just my opinion, right? Okay. If you have to do barbell squats, COVID hits again, right? You have to do barbell squats. You don't have access to a hack squat. You're working out at home and all you have is just a barbell and some free weights. Can you still make progress? Yeah, of course you can make progress. Like it's, you're good, you're okay. Just understand the trade-offs. Like maybe you can't push as close to failure as frequently with a barbell back squat. All right, that's fine. You can develop other traits and other characteristics that a hack squat is going to necessarily shift away from. Like it has to, right? So you don't work on your, your stability. You don't work on your body control and your awareness with a hack squat. You do with a barbell squat. You know, like there are other things that you can focus on in that time and i think that's something that like just really throws me off whenever people like you said like to use the word optimal and they they build their whole framework around optimality where it's like okay best case scenario you have a client who has access to all of this equipment they're able to actually implement every single exercise they know how to do it their 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 technique is perfect it's all perfect okay well what happens if they get hurt yeah everyone gets hurt eventually whether it's a, a big catastrophic injury whether it's just like chronic underlying annoyance everyone gets hurt everyone has to adjust their training at some point because of an injury oh. well then the optimality goes out the window yeah. no longer can you do optimal shit you have to do suboptimal things to work around that injury mm-hmm. same thing okay well what if they get sick well fuck now your periodization model that you had down to like the hour is fucked up mm-hmm. all right well let's let's make a, a judgment call here let's modify some things like Coaching is 99% about working within the bounds of what's realistic rather than trying to shoot for optimal.
1: Yeah. And I, I remember you and I had a conversation like when I started in the internship. It's one of those things where it's like, it's great that you have a plan, but the chances that that plan actually follows through that you have are going to be so slim. Like, yeah Like what you may have at the beginning of a, a, a block and then three or four, like, Mesocycles later it might be completely different like you said if someone moves if they can only train in the morning right if they train when it's super busy and they can't you know they might have to do a ton of supersets or giant sets or do everything with dumbbells because lord knows the gym's a, a damn zoo at 5 p.m right yeah so it's like i think that's what is more important to me is to really factor in and make things as less stressful as possible for someone Because you know, yeah, like you said, you can make progress, and we all saw it in 2020 with very minimal equipment. It's the efforts, it's your recoverability, and yeah, those are the two things that I see most, at least.
0: No, yeah, I I think that this is an interesting conversation. Honestly, we could probably have a whole conversation, whole podcast about optimality and like what that Mm -hmm. even means. Yeah, Um, and I mean, we we could just continue talking (laughs) about it to be honest, because we didn't have a plan coming into this, but. but no, just because you mentioned COVID, like I, like I mentioned a second ago as well, it's just like having to to change up basically everything that you know about training mm-hmm. to figure out how to continue to make progress and how to like keep your motivation there. Yeah, I think a lot of people struggled with that. Like I know that I struggled with it. I had to figure out a lot about like why I was training. I had to like mm-hmm. kind of come to terms like what was I even doing this for? Like why am I trying to deadlift eight hundred pounds? Like, is there a purpose behind that? Like, is, is that, is it worth it for me to potentially like be crippled by the time I'm 50 to try and deadlift 800 pounds when I'm 27? Like, is that, that important for me? So I I had to come to a lot of like weird inner truths during COVID. I think a lot of people had to like have those, those weird kind of introspective conversations with themselves. For me, it was a lot about like training and like why I was doing the things that I was doing. Um, and then even more so, like, whenever I tore my adductor, yeah, I, I really had to figure out, like, why am I doing this shit? Like, why am I subjecting myself to so much potential injury and pain and, like, lifestyle modification? Like, because if I tear an adductor, if I slip a disc, my quality of life is fucked. Like, my quality of life was destroyed after I tore my adductor. I could barely walk around. Like, I could barely sit and work for long stretches of time without being super uncomfortable and in pain. It was was brutal, like I couldn't cough. It was not fun. Um, So I had to have like a coming to Jesus moment where I'm like, why am I even doing this, you know? And then ever since that point, I found that it was really difficult for me to to push myself as hard in the gym. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because I have a mental block where every time I start pushing really hard and I start getting to that level of like discomfort, There's something inside of me that's saying, like, why are you doing this? Yeah. What is this for? What do you expect to accomplish with you pushing for one more rep with 500 pounds on Mm deadlift? Or instead of doing good mornings with 225, you have to do good mornings with 600 pounds just to like you know show off or just like measure your ego. Like, what is the point of doing that, right? And it was it was kind of weird for me, and it's still kind of weird. And I'm trying to think of like almost mind-fucking ways of, of getting myself back into that mode of like I can train hard I can do this I can work myself back up to where I was before and I honestly I think I've come to terms with the fact that like if I were to try and do that my body might not allow me to do it like I might break down in that process and it's funny because I'm still relatively young I'm 29 yeah you know so like in the grand scheme of things like my physical body is not that torn up I probably could still work my way back up to like, you know, really heavy deadlift, bench squat, but I have to think about it too. It's like, I almost allowed myself to lose it Mm -hmm. because I was at that level of strength. Yeah. And I was at that level of being able to do like ridiculous shit with my body, able to handle it. And then after COVID, I didn't continue to subject myself to those stimuli Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. I've lost the ability to go there. Yeah. So I'm like, I wonder now, and I have to ask myself those questions sometimes, it's like, even if I decided to really like push again, would my body even be able to handle that? Like, could I go from, you know, I'm not at zero now, but like, could I go from like, you know, 30% back up to 100%? Mm -hmm. And that's like a weird introspective question for me. And I don't really know if I have the answer, but I honestly lean towards potentially no. I don't know if my body would be able to handle that even if I was really really cautious and careful and titrated things up over time. And I also just have to think about like what would the purpose of that be? Like what am I trying to accomplish with that? Like I'm not going to break any world records. I'm not going to turn pro in bodybuilding. Like I don't have any desire to do that. It would really just be a purely like ego-driven thing because after a certain point like you're not improving your quality of life, you're just potentially harming it or putting it at risk. So those are like really interesting questions I've had to ask myself lately. And I don't know if like you've ever had moments like that where like whether you've dealt with like an injury or you've had to like really reevaluate the way that you're like thinking about training or fitness. And it's kind of led you to those weird kind of aha realizations yeah. where you struggle to come to terms with the that realization.
1: Yeah. So I, I think it's I, I don't think enough people. Like, ask those questions that you just asked, like, right? Like, really self reflect on their relationship with training. Yeah. And like the importance of training, right? Like, you know, I know some people say, like, that is my life. And it's like, is it or is it part of your life? Yeah. And I think that shift yeah. happened for you based yeah. on like what you're saying. So I know, like, for me, I also understand too, like, I'm not going to be a pro in anything, but like, it's still fun to like chase, right? Yeah. It's still fun to have that like number or goal you might want to reach. Obviously be safe, don't do stupid shit. Um, but <laughs> caveat, um, don't do stupid shit. Um with that being said, though, like I know for me, like when I really had that realization as well, was like, you know, every year we would go on vacation and it was in like 2018. Like just graduated from grad school and went on vacation with my family, my you know, my brother and my parents, and then two of my best friends. We flew out to LA um to like celebrate. And I remember like I was so focused on like trying to stay on track during that time. Cause that was one of the time periods where I wanted like everything to be optimal and perfect and execute. And like, I remember like, you know, my aunt lives like a few blocks away from the beach and I was like walking in the morning up at the beach. And I was just like, walk, like, why am I doing all this shit? Like, why yeah. did I pack a whole fucking carry on of like random supplements? Right. Like sure. Supplements are cool, but like, it's meant to supplement what you're already doing. And I, and I think that was the biggest thing is that I I was like, literally just so folk hyper-focused on like small shit that I really didn't understand. Like I was missing the forest for the trees in the sense. I'm so focused on like, okay, I need to use this bench every time I train or I need to make sure I can go to the gym at this time every day. Cause I already have two meals in When It's just like all that damn stress and cortisol release in my body actually diminished any kind of progress I was trying to make. Yeah. So it was like, that's when I realized like, okay, that this is not my identity. I don't want to be known for this. I want it to be part of me, not just me. Right. Like, yeah. I, I think that was the biggest thing. And that was like in 2018 and I'm super thankful I had that moment because right. Like now if I go on vacation, like sure. I love to go train and see different gyms and see different atmospheres and ideas. Like you and I are, are the same with that. Yeah. Right. Like we we enjoy it, but like if i go to you know austin and i can't train and i'm there for 5 days it's not the end of the world right mm. and and the old me would have been like honestly like handicapped and like almost paralyzed mentally like that's all i would have worried about i would have had shitty energy i wouldn't have any clarity i wouldn't enjoy the time i was there i wouldn't like mentally be present there and i think sometimes that's what happens and and you know i kind of went through that and worked through it but now it's just like you know, I've made way more progress in strength and everything else, mobility, all of that kind of shit, pulling back from six days to going four days. Remember this is just for me guys. Like, well, I, I do, I do think that this can be kind of a universal lesson, mm-hmm. but continue because mm-hmm. I'm going to build off. Of that yeah. Yeah, yeah. So for me, like, right. For the longest time I was trying to do everything optimal and go five, six days a week. And it's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to go four days a week. I'm going to do the safety squat bar. I'm gonna do conventional deadlifts. Why? Because more importantly, I like to do that shit. Mm-hmm. Like that is something that's not analyzed, and it's really frustrating with research because we're not robots. Yeah. Like if you want to deadlift and just fucking deadlift. Just deadlift. Yeah, just, just fucking deadlift. deadlift. Just, just do, do it. If like, you want to
0: do sumo deadlift,
1: just do sumo yeah, deadlift. Just do sumo deadlift. And it's just it's just frustrating because you know yes it might not make the most progress based off of what this or that says but i guarantee you guys like if you're going to do something you like and you go really hard on it like say conventional deadlifts and you're still safe obviously you don't deadlift like an asshole but like you're probably going to make a ton of progress on it because you actually like to do that shit yeah you're going to stick with it and like you're going to be excited to do it and like i know that
0: i've experienced this before but like i've had movements in my training program where i'm like okay I understand that I should probably be doing this for X, Y, and Z reasons. But mm-hmm. I fucking hate doing it, mm-hmm. and I am just mm-hmm. despising it. And for me, it was barbell overhead press. So standing barbell overhead oh press. God. So like, this was whenever I was like really trying to to get strong, like mm-hmm. powerlifting. And I remember, like, I was doing standing barbell overhead press, and every time I would do it, I would almost pass out. Like Jesus Christ! I know I don't know why it would happen, but it was like i did not know that ahead of time every every yeah every time i would do standing barbell overhead press i would almost pass out and i would have to set up like spotter arms outside of a power rack interesting i've never seen that so that if if i were to pass out i could just dump the bar and i wouldn't fall with the bar. what what was what was the heaviest you've ever done on that like do you Um, remember
1: back in that i think i think like like
0: 275 like like five or six or something Yeah. But I mean I I was it was honestly it wasn't the heavy load it was like the higher reps. Oh. So I remember there was a time I think I did like 225 for like 12 or 15 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it was the duration of the set and mm-hmm. I remember getting like to 10 and I was like browning out and I remember mm-hmm. like literally having to set it down for a second and just catch myself. Yeah. And I was like what the fuck is happening to me? Like am I literally about to pass out from holding this bar? Like what is yeah. this? And it was one of those weird things that every single week I was like, I'm dreading this movement, but I know that I should be doing it because like, I'm really trying to increase my bench press. Like I need to increase my pressing strength, like overhead pressing objectively is going to be pretty good for me. Like I should probably be doing it, but I just fucking dreaded it. And after a while it was in my program and I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Mm -hmm. Like I just stopped doing it. And this was whenever I was working with another coach. And instead of doing standing overhead press, I just went seated overhead press and I was no longer about to pass out. It was so much easier for me to do seated overhead press. Yeah. Is it the same movement? No, it's not the same movement. They require very different things. But for my goal of trying to increase my bench press and using the overhead press as a supplementary exercise or supplemental exercise, the seated overhead press did the fucking same thing as a standing overhead press and I was no longer about to pass out. So I was like, all right, cool. Let me just go ahead and switch this up. You know, yeah. like there's no reason for me not to do it. Mm-hmm. And I, I know of a lot of people, There's same. There's the same way, right? Like a lot of people really like to bench press. I have a lot of women that really like to bench press. Yeah. And they'll ask me if they can try and work on their bench press. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, It, it sure. Yeah. It, like there's no point for you not to. Like, is it the best thing for your your competitive drive? Like your competitive, like, Aspirations. If we're trying to compete in bikini or you know do figures something like that, where you're not going to be graded and judged on your pecs, probably like who fucking cares? Like no, we probably shouldn't be doing yeah. flat barbell bench press. But if that's going to make you excited to go to the gym, mm-hmm. then sure, let's do that. You know, yeah, like sure. there's we can we can st- like shift some of that volume mm-hmm. away from an incline press or an overhead press mm-hmm. and work on your bench press. We're going to be okay. Like, and I think that's. That's the part about coaching where like a lot of people really struggle. Like they really struggle to find those middle grounds with their clients. And that's something that took me a really long time too, because I was like really entrenched in my way of thinking. And I'm like, no, this is the right way of doing things. Like This is how I do them whenever I'm training. This is how like the people do them that I really follow. And I like, you know, subscribe to their ideologies as well. Like this is how we should be doing it. Mm -hmm. And then I started working with a lot of clients and I realized like, oh shit, not many people can actually like, follow this. Mm -hmm. Or even if they are following it, like they're fucking something up along the way. Mm -hmm. Because whenever I'm doing stuff, I know that my technique has to be perfect. I know that like my rep standardization has to be on point every week. Otherwise, it's not progression, right? But whenever I'm telling someone to do uh, a hack squat, week one, they might be putting their ass in their ankles. Week four, with 50 pounds more per side, they might be doing a fucking quarter squat. Mm-hmm. If they're not sending me videos, I have no idea what's happening. I'm just assuming they're progressing linearly, right? Yeah. So whenever I started working with a lot of clients, I basically had to throw all of that out the window and it'd be like, okay, what is the most realistic scenario for progression long term? And then that's what I started going with. It's not not what's optimal. It's not what like I think we should be doing in the absolute best case scenario. It's what is the middle ground here? Like what is, what is the median? Yeah. And then I'm going to extrapolate off of the median, right? So maybe I have a client whose technique is on point. Like I have a client, Megan, I was telling you about her earlier. It's taken us three training blocks for me to get confident enough in her technique where I'm like, cool, I can unleash you. I can push you as hard as possible. Mm -hmm. I don't have to worry about your technique. Mm -hmm. But there are some clients I will never be confident enough in their technique to Mm -hmm. leave them on their own and push them to, you know, one rep reserve or failure on like a barbell RDL. There are some clients that will never get that in their program just because it's not worth worth the risk versus reward. Yeah, But you're looking at like, you know, exercise science or like kinesiology or any kind of like the literature behind a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it will say like, hey, like you have to train close to to failure to make progress long-term. Yeah, probably, mm-hmm. but like not in every single scenario. Mm-hmm. Like, why don't you let leverage like three RIR barbell RDLs to improve your strength on like, a 45 degree hyperextension, yeah. Which you can take the failure. Like those are the types of things that not a lot of people think about. But like, I think it is increasingly important whenever you're working with a lot of clients. A lot of people have their health on the line. A lot of people have their longevity, their their way of living on the line with you. If you slip someone's disc because you're an asshole with your programming, like you fucked up their quality of life. Yeah. It's your fault. So that all of that has led me very much towards the ideology that I have now, which is kind of like where this conversation originated with which is like that reasonable versus optimal Mm -hmm. or like what is,
1: what is logistically possible versus optimal, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, I, it's always one of those things, right? Like, I think we have this idea in our head of like what we think everything should be or like what we think, like the people that you Mm -hmm. said you subscribe to or follow, right? Like you obviously value and respect their knowledge and content, XYZ, et cetera. But like, like I said before, like, we're not in a lab, Mm. you know, and and that's the most like frustrating thing. Right. And like, sure, there's people who are like genetic anomalies in certain things and and, and whatnot. and They'll make progress regardless doing, say, movements that aren't optimal. So people use that as leverage and try and say, well, you know, so-and-so was a genetic anomaly. So that's why they still make progress, even though the seated overhead press is you know, more ideal than the standing. But it's just one of those things too, where like the enjoyment and safety for a client is like both my, my top two priorities. Like, are they safe? And then are they enjoying what the hell they're doing? And does it align with what their goals are? Because yeah. someone might want to just get strong as shit at the overhead press. So before, before others try and bash someone else's program, which isn't fucking cool, first of all, because you don't know the reason yeah. why someone did that. Another thing that grinds my gears. Um, it, it's just like understand what the goal is. If they just want to get strong as shit at the bench press, if they just want to get strong as hell at barbell squats, like if someone just wants to do 315 because that's always what they wanted, that's fine. Yeah. Right. Like I, I think those conversations need to be had then. Like, hey, if you want to do this, like it might pull back on this a little bit. But like if someone's enjoying it, guys, like that's that's all that matters to me.
0: Yeah, I just had a conversation yesterday actually with like a, a potential client. And she's working with another company at the moment, but she's, you know, maybe going to switch to us, which she probably will switch to us. Um, And she was telling me about her training. And, you know, I really, really try to reserve judgment about training without context anymore. I I used to be pretty bad about this. Like Mm -hmm. whenever I was first starting out as a coach and I didn't have a lot of clients and, you know, I would be able to look at other training from other coaches and other companies and be like this is fucking shit like this is so fucking bad yeah and it still probably is really bad like i mean i don't really remember a lot of it but like i'm sure it's still really bad like no matter what context you apply to it. but i think that over the years one thing that i've really understood and learned is that context does play such an important role Mm -hmm. in how you're able to judge a coach's decision making Mm -hmm. and you know I'm sure that there are still a lot of cases where like, you know, they're I'm giving the coaches way too much benefit of the doubt. And like, they, they don't deserve that. And they're really just like pulling shit out of their ass and like just throwing it at their clients. But like the, the, the woman I had a conversation with yesterday, she was talking about how, you know, she's been running the same program for the last like six months. And that's carried her like, you know, pre competition through prep post competition into off season. It's been the same program. Hasn't changed. You know, she's doing like sets of 30 on like you know glute kickbacks and stuff like that. Like all of her all of her workouts are like sets of 20 plus, like she doesn't have any compound movements in there. It's just it's all like super high volume isolation work, just very, very, very niche down specific. Okay. And we were talking, and I'm like, I was really holding my tongue. You know, I'm like, I'm trying not to just talk shit. I don't want to do that because you know, the last thing I want to do is bash another coach. Mm-hmm to their current client because they're still working together in that moment. I don't want to do that. I don't I don't want to say anything negative about a coach that I don't know because for all all I know in that situation like they might have a really valid reason mm-hmm. that the client just doesn't know. But that is on the coach's end. Like that is their responsibility to communicate that with their client. If there is a reason why they're doing something like, you know, having them on the same program for 6 months or having them do, do only sets of 20 plus, the coach should be communicating that with the client. Like the client needs to understand what that thinking is. But you know, as we were having this conversation, I'm like, all right, what are the underlying scenarios and like in which I might have a client training at super high reps on the same program for an extended amount of time like that, that's carrying across multiple different phases yeah. of their of their competition season. Right. And I'm like, there aren't a lot. There aren't a lot of of scenarios in which I can see that as being a valid um thought process from the coach is in. So like as we were getting towards the end of the conversation, now she's telling me a little bit more about like what she's currently doing and like the split and you know something like the specific exercise selection and like all these things. And I finally get to the point where like, all right, that, that is a bad program. You know, like I can't I, I can't really say anything. Like I don't really I don't know her coach, but I'm like, you know, there's probably something going on there that you you just need better. You need better coaching. And and I think that in this specific scenario, Even without the context, I can say that, like, you know, my programming would be much better than what you're currently getting. Yeah. And then, you know, after that, we're having a conversation about, like, you know, can she focus on her deadlift, even though she's, you know, not a power or or even though she's like a bikini athlete, you know, Mm -hmm. she does compete bikini in the moment. She's like, I kind of just want to increase and improve my deadlift. Like, is that something that we can do. I'm like, why the fuck wouldn't it be something we do, you know? But it's like a lot of people just don't understand because they have been kind of bound to expect only one thing and they're only getting one thing and outside of that single thing they're not really allowed to like branch outside of that so with like something like that in that situation with just a deadlift focus like that's such an easy thing to implement to keep the clients excited every single week or to keep them motivated because they're hitting short-term goals Mm -hmm. rather than like a competition season or off season that's a very long time And you only really get a payoff one day whenever you're standing on stage. That's really the only payoff that you get. You have to be able to stage short-term wins throughout that whole process to keep your client excited motivated and understanding that they are making progress. This goes for anything too. It's like, even if someone wants to lose 50 pounds, you can't only celebrate them whenever they get to 50 pounds. You have to celebrate the incremental wins. Okay, we lost 10 pounds, great. Okay, we've lost 25 pounds and you've gotten stronger. Now you can do five pull-ups from before you couldn't do any. Like these are incremental wins. Let's focus on these. Let's celebrate these. But I think that training specifically is something that not enough people focus on, especially whenever it comes to coaching, because it is it is such a behemoth. It's it's a, a big, big thing that a lot of people just view as it can be kind of rushed to the wayside. It's like we've got nutrition that will be modified all the time. Just run this program for the next you know six months, 12 weeks, whatever. It doesn't matter. And you'll be good, just, just continue to train hard and you'll be fine. But like, even outside of like the optimality versus like reasonable, what we were just talking about. I I don't think that you can easily just excuse poor planning and poor programming. And I think that that's something that you actually have to like look at and figure out a way to make that better without necessarily having to restrict what the client is doing what the client is able to be excited about within the program too yeah yeah,
1: Does that makes sense yeah I, I think it's just a matter of like literally sitting it down and like putting it on paper yeah so sometimes i truly think that's the easiest yeah. thing like literally just making that column and like this and that and then however you want to divvy it up and, and label it and then just honestly kind of working through it on there um okay so that, that that is our optimal versus yeah. not optimal rant for you guys yeah I think that i like, um, still go on even further but yeah we'll, yeah. we'll cut that
0: one <laughs> but like let me think so we were talking about COVID and we were talking about kind of how goals shift over time
1: mm-hmm.
0: and how it's really difficult once you lose it to get it back right like I, I like yeah. training and like the the different like physiological effects that you get from training. Like they're very easy to maintain. And I think that that's something that not a lot of people really understand. Like everyone assumes that it's really hard to continue to maintain like the muscularity or like the, the strength levels that you have. But in reality, it's like, it's, it's pretty easy. Like you, it, like that is a pretty low threshold to hit, you know, mm-hmm. but making progress, especially at an advanced level is hard. So there's a pretty big gap between making progress and maintaining so a lot of people, I feel like they're training in the middle or they're training at like the upper limit, just under making progress, but still in that maintenance range, right? And that's something that I've had to like really think about with myself too, because I'm like, okay, what is the minimum effective dose that I can do to maintain the body that I have right now to maintain this the physique and the performance that I have right now? And I've realized that it's actually very low. It, like, I could probably go in and do, like, you know, two sets for each body part per week and maintain what I have, which is, like, awesome. Yeah. But I also have to think about, it's like, okay, well, do I have the time? Do I have the energy? Do I have, like, the, the mental fortitude to do what I have to do to continue to make progress at this point? Yeah. And if that's a no, then why am I doing more than what the absolute minimum is to maintain where I'm at right now, you know? Yeah. So like that's something i've had to think about a lot and because i know objectively for me to make progress at this point i have to train hard
1: yeah like i have to
0: do a lot i have to eat a lot of food i have to train really really hard with a good amount of volume that's how i have to make progress so if i'm not doing that why am i doing anything more than the absolute bare minimum like there's no point you know Yeah, yeah, yeah that's
1: a weird thing for me to think about yeah especially when you're so used to like being around people that are like at that higher level, right? Yeah. Because they are in it. That is their lifestyle. That is their career, depending on like the titles, accolades that mm-hmm. you have. So yeah, no, that's like, it's very interesting. It's almost like you want to get the most out of just the least. Well, just, I, th- I think that you should. I, well, I think that
0: you should always understand about where you are, like where what level you're at too, right? So like for me... Like, I'm pretty advanced in like the training that, yeah. that I'm able to do. And like, I guess like the training age that I have, like I've been training for like 14 years, like pretty consistently hard, like at a reasonably focused level. Um, and I would say that, like, I'm pretty proficient on like most movements. Like I, I'm pretty confident in myself and my abilities to take pretty much any movement to like close to technical failure without like having any kind of like really, really catastrophic breakdowns. So, I would say that I'm pretty advanced. And like within that, I have to do a lot to make progress. Yeah, even at this point, like even after i've I've regressed in muscularity and strength like pretty significantly from my my peak, like for me to get it back up to even like, let's say like two forty in body weight, like I would have to seriously push. I would have to do a lot. But right now, it's like that's not really needed. So like what I can do is I can just kind of buy my time. And then, you know, maybe in like six months or a year, whenever things calm down with work and like I'm not traveling nearly as much and I can really focus on like my own personal fitness goals, Yeah. maybe that's the time and I'm like, cool, now for the next year, I'm going to actually push. I'm going to do this for real. I'm not just going to go in like, you know, bullshit, which is honestly kind of what I've been doing for a bit. Like I've just been going into the gym. I've been training reasonably hard, but not really doing anything too structured, not doing anything with 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 tangible goals. But that kind of brings me back to the point where it's like, I know that I can maintain where I'm at with very little. Yeah. So like, why am I doing more than very little, you know, like, why am I even going into the gym four times a week and doing, you know, like seven, eight sets for pecs and, you know, seven, eight, 10 sets for back and, you know, like five to seven sets for quads per week. Like, why am I even doing that? And those are like hard sets. I could literally get away with doing one
1: or two hard sets of quads per week and they would maintain their size. You know, so is that the, the, when you were at your peak, because I'm sure some people were like curious too, like when you're at your peak, like strength in your mind, would you say like, that was a style you, style you did just like the same thing, minimal effective volume, but like at a very high intensity?
0: Well, so then my minimum effective volume to grow, like to progress was so high. Okay. So that was the difference, right? So like whenever I was at my peak for me to make like a 0.01% improvement in my physique or my strength like that required an overwhelming amount of stimulus not even just from like yeah. training but also from
1: nutrition like I eat so many calories from what, what r- was uh if you had a guess like what was probably like your peak like how much were you eating if You had to guess
0: well around my peak I was eating like you know 5,500 calories a day just to maintain I mean that was just to maintain my body weight yeah. because I couldn't eat any more than that like I, were, I could not eat did you more. have like
1: shakes and like yeah like all kinds of stuff like yeah that. yeah
0: so like at my peak i was i mean i was having like a full box of cereal per <laughs> per day post-workout what 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 was your cereal choice at the time ctc no it was it was actually um plain rice krispies okay but i would put sugar in there with it so i would add i would add sugar like like table sugar into yeah i would add table sugar into it because um, I just I needed more food and that was also at a time whenever I was taking like a good amount of yeah meat. so yeah. like that so that's another combination mm-hmm. too that's another thing that I don't really have like the bandwidth to to do again to push hard again because mm-hmm. like at this point like my health and longevity is more important but like back then for sure I want to say at my peak I was taking probably like to seven hundred and fifty a test per week probably like 2 to 400 of npp per week and then maybe like another like 500 or something like that of eq and then i was also taking growth and insulin at my peak which again is one of the reasons why i had to eat so many carbs yeah because yeah. i was i was taking insulin and like insulin is just one of those things that a lot of people are like super scared of but like in reality like if you're not a fucking idiot you're going to be okay but a lot of people are fucking idiots so i guess that kind of negates that statement but um but yeah, I was eating so much food mm-hmm. and I was having shakes. I was having like s- simple carbs, simple sugars. Like it was ridiculous how much I was eating. And like every time I would finish eating, I would feel like I was in a fucking puke. Like I just could not Damn. get any more food in. I was staying up late, waking yeah. up early to eat. Like, yeah. like I had to increase my feeding time, you know. yeah, That was the only way that I was going to be able to do it. So that was handicapping my sleep even more than it already was from like, yeah. you know, working all the time. Um. Wow. But, yeah, I mean, so taking all, all that into account, right, so, like, for me to, to be at a like 275, which my frame does not want to be 275, yeah. like, 5,500 calories, about, just to maintain that, all of those PEDs, I mean, I was training, I was training five days a week, and at my peak, so this is actually going to be kind of crazy, I remember I calculated it out whenever I was, like, really, really pushing for, like, strength, okay. I had, at one point, I think, like, 23 working sets on bench press or like a bench press variation over 315 and i had something like 20 in a week in a single week in a single week and i had something like 20 20 plus sets of deadlift variations that were over 405 or right? it might have been might have been over 500 actually for deadlift it might have been over 500 this was all in a single week yeah so like because what i was doing was i was doing like a lower upper lower upper and like a full body day but, like my full body days transferred very much to to more like a push pull because my knees couldn't handle that volume of like squatting and like squat variations.
1: but like my my back, yeah, and I mean, your spine, your erectors are probably absolutely hating you at the time.
0: They got so strong. yeah, I like my my skeleton. <laughs> was fucking bulletproof like, yeah, it, like
1: some wolverine into it
0: well it was so crazy too with like the confidence that i had like yeah at that point like my confidence in just walking up to a bar and like pulling 500 pounds off the floor yeah. i could have done it cold and just been super confident about it like yeah. like i had no concerns about like hurting my low back i no no concern about anything i was just very confident in my abilities to just do ridiculous shit and yeah that was that was about my peak level of strength and volume with like a strength combination there too. So like, that was pretty absurd with what I was doing. And yeah, yeah. I was making like really great progress back then, but also like my, my body started breaking down really quickly. Right. So like, it wasn't necessarily my low back, but it was like my SI joints over time started to kind of degrade. So it wasn't like me bulging discs out of my back. It was like, I started getting some weird like sciatic pain here and there. I started having like some really bad nerve issues, in my forearms, just from, like bench pressing. Yeah. I started having a shoulder issues. I started getting like, you know, all these pec strains, like just every week I'd have a pec strain and like all of these things started to add up. And it was like, I got to a point where I'm like, damn, there's not a single point in my body that doesn't hurt. Like I was just thinking about it. I'm like, what doesn't hurt now? Like, I'm like, all right, let's take inventory. Yeah. My hamstrings are are slightly pulled. Okay. My quad is bothering me. My knees are fucked. Like, all right, I've got this, you know, ankle issue. My Achilles is all swollen. Like, yeah, it was literally my entire body was so fucked up. You're so inflamed. Just, just so beat up. So beat up. Yeah. And it was just, I I had no reason to be doing that. You know, like it was pure yeah. vanity. It's pure vanity. But like, at the time I was getting like my, my why, my reason mm-hmm. from validation on social media, you know, like that, that to me was like, was fun because i would post like these ridiculous lifts on on social media yeah and have like that instant gratification and validation from other people oh that dope yeah and it was just, like all these people were like you dude you're fucking strong and i'm like yeah you know like i'm pretty strong like this is pretty cool right now you know and sometimes i actually do miss that right like i i kind of do miss that feeling of like being able to like walk into the gym and just do like the most ridiculous stuff shit yeah like yeah, I, yeah. I do kind of miss that um but i don't miss what it took to get to that point or I that don't, aftermath. I don't miss what my body felt like back then. Like, dude, it's just like, it's so hard to describe like as like a 25 year old, like just waking up every morning being
1: like, fuck, I'm in so much pain. Like I'm in so much pain right now for no reason. Dude. Okay. So obviously like you've had time to like reflect on that, right? So do you think that besides the fact that it was cool for social media and whatnot, like, do you think that that had a really big impact on like your coaching oh yeah like like yeah i guess like for a little insight for some people well yeah part of it too is
0: because like i i realized i just
1: burned out Mm -hmm. like
0: i looked i looked at what i was doing and like did it make me strong for sure it made me strong like i definitely got really strong but for anyone other than me or a lot of people i don't say anyone a lot of people they would have broke they would have broke they would have gotten hurt they would have done something fucked up like it, it was just not the best way to approach it from like a longevity standpoint, right? Yeah. And like, I remember there was one, one program I did and I ran it for like 16 weeks with like very, very subtle variations. It was like pretty much the same program, periodized and scaled up over like 16 weeks, same accessory movements, like the same thing over and over and over. And like my bodybuilding brain wanted to progress every single movement Yeah. So I'm like doing like fucking dumbbell laterals, like 50 pounds, just like moving them. So I'm like, I got to progressively overload this (laughs) shit, you know? And, and for me, I I think that like that definitely fed into a lot of how I approach coaching now and how I, how I program for people, because it's allowed me to see kind of like that client side. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's hard to understand as a coach, like what it can feel like to be on the client side until you're on the client side. Until you're experiencing that. And then I think it's really important to be able to to feel that and also pick and choose what you want to take and what you want to apply to your own coaching style and what you for sure do not want to apply to your own coaching style, right? So like I've worked with a good amount of coaches over the years, um, some for diet, some for training, um, I'd say mostly for diet. but um, but not all of them were the best. I have had some really good coaches, but one thing that I definitely can't say is like I've taken some things from each coach that I definitely do not want, yeah, as my coaching style. And I've taken some things that I'm like, cool, I appreciate for you, I appreciate you for like giving this to me, yeah. But yeah, I I think that that's that's like a really a really hard thing to understand whenever you are coaching a lot of people is to feel what the client feels. And if the client is feeling completely broken, are they going to tell you if the client is unable to follow this diet plan? Are they going to tell you? Yeah. If the client is unrecovered, if they're hurting, if they are completely underwhelmed and hating everything they're doing, are they going to tell you or Are they just going to continue being a good client and trying to judge like the psychology from that perspective is is really important. And it gives you a different frame to be able to like impart your coaching style on, and also to be able to evolve your coaching style. Mm. And for me, I think that's been invaluable. And I, I definitely would not want to do what I did again. Yeah. At least from like the the pure volume standpoint yeah. and like the insanity of it. But I am still glad that like I did go through those periods, and I am glad that I I pushed my body to the limit, at least a few times. Yeah. Because now I have that like client perspective and I have, I have the, the different way of thinking that I think is like really
1: helping me now as a coach. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's always nice to be able to reflect. And I, I I like the fact that you said that everyone you worked with, like you, you got something out of it, whether it was like good or bad. Yeah. And that only one helped you shape and, and mold who you are so that these hundreds of people that like you help or yeah and whatnot are obviously like getting the best because it's a combination of everything and all of your experiences in the past. So
0: yeah, I don't have you ever had that? Have you have you worked with a coach that was like really, really bad, but you're like, you know what? I really like the way that you did this one thing.
1: Yeah. So um originally um for some of you guys might not know, um I wanted to do like strength and conditioning for like sports. Mm -hmm. Like So I had an internship with that and, you know, like Bryce, you mentioned, like talking about like the psychology aspect of it. I think, right, like understanding how to communicate, whether you're working with, you know, the older population, very young, you know, kids in middle school or whatnot, or just, you know, everyday gen pop people, I I think setting that foundation of communication is one of the biggest things that i learned Mm -hmm. because, right, like, like explaining it like i had an internship and you know the strength coach that was there nice guy but like same thing i wouldn't have done some of the stuff that that he did looking back at it now but the one thing he did do was like make that shit fun for the kids man yeah. like, like making it fun making it races making it a game right like I, I i mean we've seen before where it's like all right like who can do the the best rdls or the most reps with 100 pounds to two rr something yeah. like that right like it's about like, for me at least, was understanding that psychology aspect of like, not every day do people want to be here, but you have to try and make it fun for them to be here or at least have them maybe do it together, right? Like that's the cool thing of having a team. Um, so I would say like sh- straight from a coach standpoint, I've only kind of like worked with like two people. And, um, you know, I I would say, I understand why they did what they did at the time, but, like looking back at it now, it definitely was like not the the most conducive. or basically the why was not a very genuine why in my humble yeah. opinion. yeah, and, and I
0: think that's that's pretty normal. um, but I mean, I think that that is also like the opportunity, right? Like that's the opportunity that like you get whenever you're in this position now that we're in, like I guess a yeah. more like powerful position of being a coach and being able to dictate other people's like fitness and their health. Mm-hmm. We're like, you're able to see what you don't want to do. Mm -hmm. And you're able to see like what clearly doesn't work and you just know what to avoid. And like, for me, I think that's been a really, really helpful lesson over the years. It's like seeing a lot of other coaches and a lot of other teams, Mm -hmm. how they do things and me being like, that can be done so much better though. Like, why are you doing it that way? Like, like, why are you still stuck sending things through Word documents? Like, why are you only doing check-ins through like WhatsApp? Like, why are you only sending email correspondence? Why are you not just sending like a video check-in? Like, like, why are you not leveraging the things that you have access to to make your client's experience better? Like, all of those things. And, you know, it's it's a process, right? Because like for me, at the beginning, like, I know that like the client experience could have been so much better. And I... Yeah. I like still get super frustrated myself for like the early days, whenever, mm. whenever like the, I know that like the client experience is bad. Like I know that like a lot of clients came through and worked with me and it was a, a substandard coaching experience that they received. And it's a lot like, there's no real excuse. You know, a lot of it was just like, I didn't really have much established at the time. Like I, I didn't really know too much about like how I was supposed to be running like the business side of things. Like I, I just knew how to, Write good programs. Like I, I could do that at a high level, but I didn't know how to scale that. Right, because writing programs is not a scalable skill. It takes a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. And, and like that's something. I was like, okay, cool. Well, I could definitely do this. I can do this really well. But like, you know, if this is taking me an hour to do, and I have to do this for a hundred people, like that's going to be really challenging to do that. You know. Yeah. And, and I know that a lot of people at the beginning felt that like they, they felt that struggle on mind where I was I was really I was really having a hard time keeping up you know and I wish I could go back and I wish I could make that experience better but like obviously I can't but I think that's one thing that we're hoping to move towards now and I'm really trying to move towards now is like how do we make the client experience better like how do we turn things over faster how do we improve the value that we're that we're giving our clients how are we how do we like make what we're offering cheaper while giving that more value, you know? Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is just like again looking around and seeing what other people are doing and figuring out, okay, what can we take and what do we like versus what do we want to just get rid of? What can we immediately throw away? Like that's a horrible procedure. Like that's like we do not want to implement that in our company. And like I think it's good because like everything is just kind of this petri dish where everyone's experimenting. Yes. Every everyone is trying to see what works, what sticks. But I think what gives us the benefit is that we're not stuck doing things one way, mm-hmm. like we can do things one way for a really long time, then we see a better way of doing it. And then we can quickly pivot and iterate on that, you know, and I think that's something that like, I've really done, I hope I've done a good job with building into the business is that, like that ability to kind of like admit that maybe what we're doing is the best way of doing it. And then like shifting to a better way. Yeah. And, and I think that that's kind of where we're at now. We're like, we're getting to the point where it's like, okay, there's clearly a better way of doing this. Let's go ahead and like start slowly moving towards that better way. And hopefully, you know, every six months we get another like light bulb moment where we're like, the way that we've been doing this is not that great. Let's change this one thing or let's completely overhaul it. Let's throw it all away. Let's yeah. start from scratch. Let's do this all over again. That's really hard to do though. And I don't, I think a lot of people get so comfortable with what they're doing. Like they get so comfortable with like, Cool, I'm gonna do client check-ins Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday for you know four hours each morning. And then I'm just gonna go fuck off. And they don't care about making the experience better. They don't care about expanding their reach, working with more clients, making it cheaper to do what they're doing. Like I think that's one thing that we we can improve on. We can do better. And like kind of what we were talking about before we even like started recording here is like yeah. the ways in which we're trying to do that this year, I think are gonna be fun. Um, I'm excited to try and do those things, and I'm also excited to like fail and I know that sounds kind of weird no i i i keep going no I, I I can relate to that it sounds kind of weird to say that, but like one thing that i I realized like over the last few months is like failure is good mm-hmm. failure is like actually a really good thing if you can admit that you failed because of a specific reason yeah. or if you can look at the, at like That failure and be able to pull out something positive from it and then take that into your future self and be like, okay, all future decisions, I'm going to be objectively looking at it from a different perspective because I failed at this thing in the past, right? Yeah. And like I failed at a lot of things so far with the business. I've done a lot of things really wrong. So I'm excited to continue doing things wrong. Yeah. And I'm excited to like continue learning what not to do because I think that every time. I fail at something every time I fuck something up, I think that actually gets me a little bit closer to doing things the right way. Correct. And that's actually what I'm excited for. And I don't think that I'm nervous about failing anymore. I think it's it's okay. It's expected. I think b- before I was definitely very nervous to admit failure yeah. or admit that I was doing things the wrong way because I didn't want people to view me as being a failure. Yeah. And I think that now I've gotten to a point where like no one's going to view me as being a failure. Yeah. And I'm a lot more comfortable in where I'm at in life, especially with business, I think that gives me like the confidence and the freedom to understand that, like, I can fail without being a failure, mm-hmm. but that makes me a better coach, that makes me a better business owner, mm-hmm. and allows
1: us collectively to move forward into a better place by being comfortable mm-hmm. with failing sometimes, you know? Yeah, and I think as a business owner and the head coach, like, you also. Want to set that standard so that people aren't afraid to try new things as well too, yeah, which I think is huge, but I think what you said before is a lot of people they're afraid to fail, and I think it's because right? like they've been so good in one way that it's it's their identity, like you said, mm-hmm. they don't want that identity of being a failure, but I also think it it takes a lot of like reflection, and right. I, I think understanding like th- there's never it's never gonna end. There's always something more to learn. There's always like a better client experience. Yeah. So I, I think understanding that, even if you are the best, like that's why the people are the best, whatever they do, whether they're athletes in a sport or in competing or business owners, like they're always pushing the envelope to get better in something. Mm-hmm. But like there's like they have to severely mess up in order for them to like learn, get that feedback and apply it. Yeah, it it's funny too because.
0: This is, I mean, it obviously sounds kind of cocky, but I think that like whenever you get to a high level anything, you have to be super confident in yourself. Mm-hmm. Like you have to be extremely mm-hmm. confident, like almost irrationally so. And I mean, I truly really think that like I'm the best member comes to programming. Like hundred percent, I think I'm the best. Um I think that like especially whenever it comes to the main demographic of clients that I work with, right? So like yeah if someone comes to me they're like i want to increase my sprint speed i'm like okay there's fucking better coaches than me for that right for sure but like whenever it comes to like training women i'm really really fucking good like i think i'm the best you know and i could have been content with just refining that skill set and be like okay cool i'm just going to continue to read up on literature about exercise science and like i'm going to continue to Try and figure out like what exercise is better than what other exercise by 0.01%. Mm-hmm. And I'm yep. gonna continue to like try this or that and just improve my skill set more and more and more. And we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. But like I'm no longer concerned or as focused on improving my skill set from where I'm at now to being 0.01% better. Yeah. I don't think that it's worth the time and energy that it would take for me to improve an incremental amount, whereas I could spend that time and energy somewhere else that's going to round out my skill set, not only as a coach, but as a business owner. Yeah. So like, would my clients get a better product if I was 0.01% more knowledgeable than I am right now? No, it's, it's not significant. Mm-hmm. Will you guys, will the team experience a significant amount of improvement by me focusing on something that I'm completely ignorant on, but I go from zero to 50 that's very important, right? Yeah. But then that also filters down to a better client experience, right? So like, yeah. I think I think that for me is the most important thing. And that's one of the reasons why, like what we talked about at the very beginning of this conversation, where you're like, you know, the gym is part of your life. It's not your whole life. Correct, yeah. And I think that even coaches, coaches that view fitness as the only thing in the world, they're really handicapping themselves and their clients. Yeah. So if your coach is only consuming nutrition and and supplemental information and like research about like exercise science and like you know leverages for the squat versus like the leg press and like those things like that's cool you know but like i guarantee you from like experiential like data and anecdotal anecdotal data you're probably gonna already know most of these things mm-hmm. if you work with enough clients like you're gonna know that like leg presses are better for certain things than squats and you know yeah. vice versa right for sure so you don't need research to tell you that you don't need to waste three hours of your day watching a podcast about this research article and you know like looking it up it's fine you're gonna be okay yeah but if you know absolutely fucking nothing about financial planning let's just say financial planning right and all of a sudden like you learn how to how to balance your budget you learn how to look at a financial statement and you do that over the course of three hours and you're like holy shit I now understand how to save a thousand dollars more per month for my business. Cool. Well, you know, that thousand dollars a month can now get reinvested back into, let's say like hiring a content manager or hiring like a, a, a VA, like a virtual assistant. And now that's a better client experience. So like it all comes full circle where like, yes, you might be a better coach by doing all of those like specific things and becoming more specifically knowledgeable about coaching and fitness and, you know, training, nutrition, all those things. Yeah. But it's more important to be well-rounded at at a certain level yeah and like that's one thing that i have definitely understood very 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 intimately over the past couple of years is like Mm -hmm. i boxed myself in to fitness knowledge Yeah, and i like literally would not look outside for a really long time i was like I i don't need to know about anything else i don't need to know about current events I don't need to know about how the world works outside of just training and fitness. And that's all I need to know about because that's that's how I make my money, right? Mm-hmm. But then it got to a point where it's like, okay, like there's so, so much diminishing returns and just continuing to try and absorb more of the same knowledge about shit I already know. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, done me really well. And I think that's one of the reasons why, like, I am so much more comfortable in like, my ability to like run and own a business now mm-hmm is because I allowed myself to like peek outside like outside of the fitness bubble, you know? And I, yeah. I'm like there's a really big world out there that doesn't exclusively involve the gym or your food scale, you know, <laughs> or my fitness pal, right? Like yeah. like if you just open your eyes a little bit more and you can see that there are more important things and ironically by focusing and stressing less about fitness, you'll probably make more progress because then you just allow yourself to take a more relaxed approach to fitness. You're like, you know what? Fuck it. I don't go to the gym today. It's okay. I have more important things to do. I've got to go watch my kid's soccer game. Yeah. I'm not going to try and cram in a 90 minute workout and then get to my kid's game half an hour late. Yeah. I'm just going to go rest up today. And what do you know tomorrow? You're going to have an awesome workout because you took an additional rest day. Like those are the types of things that like what you said, going from like six days a week of training to four days a week of training. Yeah you feel like, oh shit, like this is a step backwards. I'm having to like, you know, put training on pause. I can't be as focused or as serious about training now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you're probably going to make more progress. Yeah. Like like that's the counterintuitive nature of fitness, right? Like the more that you push, the more that it pushes back.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Sometimes you just have to learn to give up. You just like relinquish it, right? You're like, I, you were in control. Mm-hmm. I'm no longer in control of this. I'm going to go with the flow. I'm going to do what feels natural i'm going to do what i can actually integrate with the rest of my life comfortably Mm -hmm. and it's all just going to fall in place after that and i think people would be really surprised as to how often does just fall in place yeah they just have to stop pushing so fucking hard Mm -hmm. they're stop stressing about it That's like that's that is like that is absolutely the killer for most people is focusing too hard
1: on fitness it's just it's diminishing i think there's a uh a big thing there with people, right? Like, when someone asks, like, who you are, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it used to be, oh, I'm, I'm the strongest guy, say, in the gym or in Columbus, what, whatever. Now, the answer has shifted, right? Yeah, yeah, Like, same with me. Like, it used to be, like, for me in college, like, you know, I worked at the rec center. I was the, the graduate assistant, too. So, I was there six years. I was like, oh, you're that guy that squats at the rec. I'm like, okay, yeah, I am. But like, I'm not just that person, right? And like you said, it's interesting when you fill your cup up in another area, you might take some out of the fitness space, but then you truly enjoy and learn to appreciate that time in the fitness space because you are doing something else. Like you're putting your energy towards something else. And I was that person who like, I thought all I had to do was like the same thing you said, just consume X, Y, and Z. And then it's like, once you start to understand more, like. Let's learn how to have basic conversation skills. How many people can you have a conversation with that it's an actual conversation? That it doesn't have to be about fitness, correct? Or, or yeah. it's like back and forth, like yes, I'm your assistant coach and we're friends, but like that's not all we talk about. You know what I mean? Like I, used to, I don't. I used to tell Chris back in the day. I used to tell Chris that I had to have a friend,
0: like a friend group that was like my fitness friend, and a friend group that was completely unrelated to fitness because I yeah. didn't want to always talk about fitness. Yeah, and I think some people just can't understand that. But it's also like, it's on everyone else too, right? So like whenever you are really muscular, whenever you are clearly someone who works out, it's everywhere you go, people ask you about fitness and you can't escape it. And I I know that for me, like that's always been a super big source of frustration. Like whenever I go to a festival, right? Like I don't want to get stuck in a conversation with a random person about like the gym. It always happens, but I don't want that to happen. It happened when... I went with him. Guys. Like if if, <laughs> you, if you ever run into me in public, don't ask me about fitness. Ask me how much God. protein he eats. Please, God, don't ask me about fitness. <laughs> or if you ask me about fitness, ask me about how you can work with me in P two because I'd be more than happy to talk to you about that. But don't ask me some stupid fucking questions about my own personal fitness because I don't want to talk about that in public. Link below to reply. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but um, no, I think that like those things are are really they're really interesting. And I, it's, it's difficult for a lot of people to understand until they actually go through that, like kind of metam- metamorphosis of like, allowing fitness to become more of a background thing rather than mm-hmm. the forefront. And that was for, for sure me. And that happened after COVID, where like, before that fitness was so important. And it was like, you know, I had to go to the gym, I had to train, I couldn't give up, I, like, I couldn't, couldn't skip a meal, like all of these things had to be super, super locked down. I was very anal about it all. And then whenever COVID hit, And you just get so thrown out of your routine and like nothing is normal anymore like you can't go to the gym you can't can't like go get food anymore like Mm -hmm. everything is just a complete shit show um you have to i think i realized like really quickly i was like wait a second why was i so focused on all this shit
1: yeah like
0: what what was it that was like keeping me in that that perpetual loop of only fitness where i was just like not paying attention to anything else other than that and then in a lot of ways like that was a, a good aspect of COVID, where like it did force me to change my thought process and my thinking to where I'm like, okay, this doesn't have to be the only thing I ever think about. Like I can still maintain and like be fitness, be fitnessy, right? I can be a coach and take it seriously without it having to dominate my entire life. Mm-hmm. In in a lot of ways, it's, it's shifted from my personal fitness goals to like my client's fitness goals and like the company's goals. Mm-hmm. I think that like I can still be in the world without having to be so focused on like my own vanity and that's been a good thing. that's that's helped me. but I think that a lot of people would be better served of truly evaluating like where they are in life, why they're training, why they're taking it so seriously, what what their goals are? And should training be or should fitness be a forefront thing, or should it be a background thing? And a lot of people have not had those honest conversations with themselves and that that true reflection to be like, why am i even doing this why am i so focused on this yeah. can i remove some of this mental energy and some of this time that's being given to fitness and give it towards my friends my family myself in another way yeah i think most people need to have those conversations because a lot of people would come up with the background answer i think yeah i
1: think that's a good place to end
0: it you heard the man Have those tough conversations. Before we go, I think, so this is one thing I've been actually actually asking everyone. I think it's like an interesting conversation. So um, it can be anything, but Mm, I remember this. Did I already ask
1: you this? No, 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 no. Fuck, all right, whatever. No, 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 it's okay, go ahead.
0: All right, so if you could do anything for the rest of your life, be guaranteed success
1: in it, what would it be? Anything in life to have guaranteed success. It can be work-related, it can
0: be personal goals, it can be relationships, you can be like, yeah, I just want to marry Scarlett Johansson and live in the Bahamas for the rest of my life. That's successful.
1: I would want to be, oh, damn, that's good, man. I know we've talked about this before, but like, what was your, what was your answer?
0: I, I have not been answering it. I because all right. So, so the first time, the first time I came across, all right. Yeah, that's a fucking cowbell. <laughs> um, this isn't about me. No, the first time I came across this question, um, I immediately answered as one thing, and then I thought about it more, and my answer became much more fluid. And I think that it really depends on like what, what time of my life I'm in, you know, mm, like, yeah, for sure. And like, right now, I would say that I would probably do something that just created like pure happiness for me. So I would, I would probably keep it more along the lines of like having success in some like venture that allows me to do something that I enjoy for the rest of my life. So like, I would honestly probably keep it more like financial yeah, just because that would open me up to the possibility of doing other things that I find a lot of like pure purpose and enjoyment from. but. You know what? Like, if I could do one thing for the rest of my life, be guaranteed success in it. Um, I know what mine would be. I I would, I would say mine would probably. This sounds so freaking absurd. Mine would probably have something to do with like
1: creating a a better education system. Yeah. That sounds absurd. No, no, no. That that makes sense because I feel like we wouldn't have as many issues if we knew and developed these habits, like you and I have talked about back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I just,
0: you know, just. To kind of sum up my thought process really quick, I am very, very curious. I'm like a a very introspective person, and I also like am kind of obsessive compulsive about like consuming knowledge and just like wanting to to know more about everything about the world and how everything operates. Um, And I think that my experience with like school and education was like very dampening to my curiosity. And I think that it took me a really long time into adulthood before I found that again. And I don't think that that is how education should be. I think that education should be very catered towards the individual Mm -hmm. and it should be very much promoting curiosity, promoting interests and allowing people to, to expand their thought process and their thinking and not be constricted by a curriculum or a syllabus you know and yep. that's kind of like where my my head is at with what I would do if I could guarantee
1: success it'd probably be something with like reforming education okay I like that damn that's so good um mine I guess is a little more broad but like I would love to be like the most I don't want to say I know this is going to come off as like awful I'm sure in some way but like I, I want to I would love to be the best resource people in the way to really like help because there's so many random issues and shit in the world right Mm -hmm. like education's one but like world hunger's one like how could we obviously be smarter and have more sustainable things in order to fix x y or z right like so i would want to use it for something that like i could be a valuable resource and i'm a plug and play in any i guess not demographic but any fields really help them figure out what issue is at hand so i guess like yeah, just be a really good resource in some way, shape, or form. Whether it's like intelligence or networking, like whatever it might be, I think that's what I would would want to be the most successful in because literally you can help anyone with anything. Then
0: yeah, no, I like that. I also would probably just cure like mortality in general,
1: just so I can live forever. He's gonna live forever. Yeah. Um, that, uh, exactly okay. I mean. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I have a few rapid fire questions. Oh, shit. Okay. Okay. Let's a few right. rapid fire questions. All right. Um, favorite energy drink uh the white monsters white monster the og yeah i like those yeah i like those a lot do you like the one with the twist lid at the top no just a straight right yeah some more okay um go to post workout meal Ooh, i mean what i always
0: do is i just go like boring ass chicken and rice okay but if if i could have my my optimal sushi sushi. ah where would you get it from does it matter? Or you just want to start cutting? Oh, man. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter too much. Um, I mean, I obviously want some fucking good sushi. Like yeah. Akihana yeah. is, is yeah, yeah, yeah. Bomb in okay. Columbus. If anybody is okay. coming
1: through Columbus and they want some really good sushi, Akihana is the, is the shit. Right. So that's probably what I would okay. say. I got two more questions. One's a little deep. Uh, but the next one is, best barbecue you've ever had since you are a Texan. Best barbecue yeah. you've ever had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it was a place that was
0: on my way home. From school, whenever I was in high school, it was called In Laws and Outlaws. It was literally like a shack. No shit. It was a shack. Um, they didn't even have room to put like a kitchen inside of it. All they had was like this little counter that you could order at. And they had like a drive through window that they served people through. That was like the shack. But then in a separate building out back, they had like the smoker and they had like, ah, the, okay. the actual like kitchen area that they would prepare the food. Um the place was open. I want to say for like two years, and they closed down for whatever fucking reason. But this was by far the absolute best—not only bar- barbecue, but best food I've ever had in my Where'd life. You get? I, I got a barbecue baked potato
1: every ah. time. So
0: basically, it was like the, uh, for people who don't know what a barbecue baked potato is, I feel bad for you. But basically, they would get this baked potato, they would cut it down the middle, just like a loaded baked potato. Okay, open it up. They put all of like the fixings in there. So you got like the sour cream, the butter, the cheese, the chives, all that good stuff, the bacon. And then they would put like pulled pork, oh, or gosh. or they would put um what what is the what is the other stuffed pork um I don't know why I'm blanking on it, but yeah they just, they would put like whatever your barbecue choice is on top of it with like the barbecue sauce and nice. it was just like it was phenomenal nice. so good yeah definitely okay. had, like a heart attack in in a styrofoam <laughs> bin but it was phenomenal I would I would give off a year of my life to have one more big potato <laughs> They, they shut down. They shut down my freshman year of college. I went home for, for winter break. I was like uh, praying that I'd be able to have one of these fucking potatoes
1: and there was no more. So, right. so sad. All right, my final question. and I, I'm stealing this from Jay Shetty. So, Jay, if you ever listen to this, I'll <laughs> tell you. Okay. So if you could create one law in the world, what would it be? A quick summer, just one sentence. You can create one law in the world. What would it be and why? Um. Oof! All right, we're we're gonna get a a good answer here, guys. We think one law. All right, one law. Be anything. Does it have to be a new law? Anything you want. You could refine one that's currently out there. Anything you want. Um, you know, honestly, like
0: I think that the Constitution did a really good job. I, I think that if you could just expand something like freedom of speech to include something along the lines of you know you have freedom of speech until it imparts on someone else's ability to live the life that they want to live and that makes them happy like i truly think that like the pursuit of happiness thing is a fundamental aspect of of human nature i think that everybody has the human right to to try to be happier and like live a better life Mm -hmm. um and i also think that like freedom of speech Is in a lot of ways like something that should be truly like protected with everything that that we're capable of doing. Um, And I'm very like honestly like just not to get political. Like I have a lot of like libertarian ideologies. Like I I very much am someone who's like you know, don't bother me. I won't bother you. Like I I don't really care what people do like in the confines of their own home. But like you know, don't try and push your beliefs on me. Just like those types of things, you know. so I would say, like, if there is one sentence, I, I would definitely expand something like freedom of speech to include something about respecting people's rights to be happy. Gotcha. So like you can say you can do anything that you want for the most part, as long as it is not directly or indirectly harming someone else. And maybe I maybe don't do anything that you want. But yeah, I mean, hopefully that that. Yeah. sums that up in a way. um yeah, because yeah. I like like I said, I think that individual freedom is super important. Mm-hmm. and I, I think that like the ability to express yourself is also extremely important. and um in in a lot of ways, that's kind of like the foundational principle for like what' a well-functioning democracy is is founded on. So, yeah, I think that's what I would go with, and I think that that is pretty encapsulating for
1: a mm-hmm. lot of the other beliefs that I might be able to
0: expand that into.
1: So we got thanks to you for having me of course um, oh, thank you yeah thanks for having me um send bryce all the white monsters load of big potatoes oh. and apply for coaching below thank you all thank you all this makeshift episode was great <laughs>